You are listening to Making Sense of Work with Jean Balfour. Hi everyone and welcome to Making Sense of Work. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend and colleague Chris Avis. Welcome to the podcast Chris. Thanks Jean, it's lovely to be here. Before we dive into the podcast today I have a couple of small asks Firstly, if you'd like to be kept up to date on podcast episodes, please do sign up to our newsletter at baileybalfour.com. It would also be really great if you could rate and review the podcast. Growing the impact of any podcast is partly dependent on reviews, and I would really appreciate your support. So let me tell you a bit about Chris. Chris is an educational psychologist and an executive coach, as well, as I said, of being on the faculty of our programs. She studied psychology at Bristol University and then went on to train as an educational psychologist, which is a very long training. So you, Chris, qualified as a teacher and then worked for five years in a residential special school for children. And then she went on to train as an educational psychologist at the Tavistock Clinic in London. And then for the last 35 years, she has worked both as an educational psychologist and in management roles, as well as working as in training and consultancy with a focus on adult development and personal growth. And she's done that work both in the local government sector in the UK, but also in private companies. Chris trained as a coach in 2009 and has really seen that as being integral to that personal growth, leadership growth and adult behaviour work that she's really curious about. And here she is today. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks. How's work at the moment for you? So when I thought about that question, Jean, I realised that the answer is kind of busy but everybody's busy. And so I was thinking, so what do I really mean? And what I noticed about my work is that it changes through the year. So what what's the kind of focus, what schools and parents are talking to me about changes. And right now, everybody's thinking about worrying about the changes of school or class for children in September. Gosh, so your your year has a real rhythm to it, I imagine, with that. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. And when you have a good day, what does that look like for you? So again, I was, you know, thinking about this and I guess I get the most pleasure when I'm in a school or in a family home working face to face with the people who have the concerns, the worries about the children and the young people, working face to face with the child or the young person, listening to their concerns I've really realised how important it is to give people space to talk about the things that worry them about their children, not to rush quickly to sort of suggest solutions. So that's the bit I enjoy, the face-to-face work, much more than coming back to my desk and writing reports. Mm. And what was that like during COVID? Because I imagine that really your landscape changed enormously during COVID. Yes, it did massively because, you know, suddenly we were all having to work from home and, you know, schools and educational psychologists generally were not used to using this sort of platform. But actually, quite quickly, we did move to 
using the telephone and then using video calls to be able to continue to keep in communication with schools and with parents. And indeed, you know, I was carrying out some assessments with young people over Zoom, which was a bit challenging at times, but it helped us. You know, we were able to continue the work in some form. I imagine, actually, for some of the young people, particularly the ones who are teenagers, they're so used to being in this world that actually they were probably more comfortable in a way with it than you were. Yeah, that's true, actually. And some of them, in fact, found it easier to have that little bit of distance, so easier than being in a room face-to-face mm. with them. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about your career? I've shared a bit, but it's always good to hear it from, from the person themselves. Yeah. So I think when I did my psychology degree, I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. But I, at a careers talk, I met an educational psychologist and he was really inspirational for me and talked about his job. And then I talked to him afterwards. He let me go and shadow him and spend time with him. And it absolutely, just the way he was working, I thought, this is what I want to do. And so I went down that route that you've described, getting the required experience to be able to train as an educational psychologist. And then I I got a job and quite quickly got a management role and then found myself being even more curious and intrigued about the adult behaviour. And at that point, I sort of jumped into more of a business psychology role and from there did the coach training. And now I kind of do both. So I've moved around, as you've said, I've had jobs in different places. I've worked for myself for a period of time. I've lived in all sorts of different places, but I guess the thread through it all is understanding people's behaviour, what makes people perform at their best, what's anxiety about for people, and working with them to try and find a way through that. Mm, Yeah, I'm sure. I guess I'm curious, over your career, what change you've seen I'm particularly curious on, on whether the story that we're carrying, that there's a lot more anxiety in the system for people at the moment, whether you're noticing that more than maybe 20 years ago. Yes. I mean, I, I do notice a lot more. And I think COVID, you know, you asked about the impact of it on my on my, how I do my job. There is no doubt that it's had a huge impact on children and young people and, and adults, of course. So teachers, parents, all of us. But I am, I do also wonder, you know, when we have the language to talk about something, it kind of, we create it. So I do also think that because we're much much more aware and we talk about our well-being and anxiety, maybe, you know, it just allows people to express it more and to be aware of it. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, we maybe put too much focus on it and sometimes probably could shift our focus away to help kind of let it uh, not not disappear because it doesn't go away but to kind of let it hold a less figural less present feeling for us yeah and and sort of normalize it a little bit I think and say you know actually this is something that all of us feel some of the time yeah I know with the young people in my life I'm often helping them see that a little bit of anxiety is quite a normal experience and you know helping them with a few strategies just to help them think about how to deal with it because because there are really good strategies yeah so you've talked a little bit about this already but 
what does a what does an educational psychologist do? It's a very good question, and and I struggle sometimes to explain it. And you know, I, when I meet a parent, especially you know, this rather grand title, you know, what on earth does this mean? And I think it can be a bit scary for parents sometimes too. But I guess what I would say simply is that I. I go mainly into schools. That's kind of the way that the system works is that I have a group of schools. I go in and meet with the special needs coordinator in the school who will talk to me about the concerns that usually she has. And then we'll agree, you know, what's going to be a helpful way forward. So it might be to do some work with the individual child, but it might be looking at something at a more of a systems level. So if if a class, if a teacher is struggling with the behaviour in class, then it might be about helping that teacher think about how they organise their class and what are the expectations they have of the children. I guess basically my job is about helping children with their learning and their behaviour to do as well as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And how does the family come into the work that you do? Yeah, very, very importantly, I always meet with parents. And, you know, but just yesterday I was in school, met with the parent of a child who's got, you know, quite a lot of complex needs. And I think one thing is, as I said a bit earlier about acknowledging the concerns, just giving the parent an opportunity to talk about, you know, what they're worried about with their child, but also what's going well. So, let's not just think about the child's needs but what are the child's strengths and I take that opportunity really to listen to the parent and then to think through with them what what will be helpful what is going to help them at home have an easier time with their child what would they like to see their child achieving and uh, yeah so supporting the parent that way it's I think it's such an important part of what I do. There's something um curious for me and, I, and I'm curious to ask this actually um, is noticing different approaches to parenting I guess over the you know the way I was raised which was less based on praise I suppose less of a strengths-based approach which is which is a lot of how we see encouraging parents to to be with their children and I'm curious about where you would where you stand on on how is the best way to help children thrive because not because giving lots of positive feedback all the time doesn't necessarily create the environment for a child to know how to work with difficult difficulties and challenges yeah um it's a very that is a really good question Jean and I and I'm just sort of thinking about it I suppose What I would tend to do is I might hear from a parent that they find it very difficult to give positive feedback to their child. And in that situation, I would be trying to help them think about, you know, what is going well and why is it important to notice what's working well? So a bit like in coaching, we talk about noticing. I do I do that with parents and sort of ask them, you know, what was happening when that was going well? And the other thing that that sparked me thinking about is is communicating with their children. So one of my real things is that I believe these days parents don't talk to their children enough. Either the parent or the child or both are on their devices all the time and there might be lots of communication kind of going out through electronic devices, but there's very little communication going between 
the parent and the child or young person and just trying to create some more dialogue between them is something I think about a lot yeah it's yeah hopefully not all criticism you know that's yeah that's interesting I was thinking about a parallel to organizations actually that I think that is true at work as well and and that oftentimes we are sending instant messages to people to each other rather than talking, even if it's talking on Zoom or on the phone, that we've moved our communication out of in-person. And, you know, I'm essentially relational. I believe that relationships are how we work best together, or as you're describing, parent best. And so that, so I think there's such a parallel for us in organizational life as well. I think you're right. Yeah. And it kind of leads us into how does coaching link to this work? So I think that since training as a coach, it's changed the way in which I have a conversation with people. And in fact, my colleagues notice that I have a slightly different style, even in a team meeting of asking questions. But certainly in a school, you know, I kind of start with that contracting thing, you know. So what is it that you, you know, want to think about with this child? Why are you involving me here? Well, you know, what is the outcome that you want from my involvement? And it's fascinating how, even though I've asked that question now of people for the last sort of 18 months where I currently work, they still sort of, oh, yes, uh, you know, they have to stop and think about it. So that already I find is a really good way to get clarity about what it is that they want me to do and then I guess you know just asking those curious questions about a situation that they're describing to me to really understand what's going on at home at school you know what do they think the child would say if they were in the meeting now what you know what would they say about this situation And then similarly, when I'm talking to the child and I might be asking the child, you know, what's going well? What do you think your teacher would say? So, you know, there are those sorts of questions. And I might use a scaling question, particularly with children. So lots of those that I learned through the coaching. So not just not just in the kind of interactions around the work and the team, but also with your clients and with the people you're serving. And I think one of the things that I, I love about it is I often in my job, there's a kind of placing the problem in the child. You know, if we can make this child learn better or sit still or then everything will be all right. And I'm always curious to ask the questions that take the problem out of the child and say, you know, what's going on here and what can we do in this system to change things? That's so important because the child is part of a system. They're being affected by what's going on around them. And one of the things that comes up in the coaching program often that we hear from people is that for those who are parents, they notice that their parenting style shifts as they train as a coach. And I think particularly for parents of teenagers, I think they find it incredibly helpful to shift. So I guess I'm curious about how would you see a coaching approach helping parents? Well, absolutely. I mean, I agree. I hear lots of the people on our programme saying about how it has changed their relationships at home. And I think, you know, probably one of the things is that 
it enables us just to take a step back and, you know, not ask, particularly, you know, not saying to a young person, you know, why have you done that? Why can't you tidy up your room? Or, um, you know, those accusatory kinds of questions. But I think just stepping back and finding a question that allows a kind of a more open response just shifts and allows the young person to take some responsibility rather than, you know, that in TA terms, the sort of literally parent-child relationship. Yeah, so it's um, it's interesting. Is that, as you were saying that, I was remembering that we often say don't start a question with why because it can trigger a defence. And actually what you're saying is even just that simple shift of instead of using why, to use to asking a question with what you know what's what's caused you not to tidy your room today it just shifts the energy in the question very much so yeah it's really powerful it's really powerful and what do you love most about your educational psychology work you know, I think it's I feel it's a privilege actually because I get to spend time with a child or a young person and their parents and some of the adults in the school that are important as well. Um, you know, I have that luxury really to have that time with them. The class teacher rarely gets more than a few minutes with an individual child. And I can spend, you know, an hour or more than that. So there's something lovely about just having the right to have that time. And I imagine that that you've also witnessed and experienced some real shifts in some of the young people you've worked with yeah and that that's fabulous I guess often I sort of think oh you know nothing's changing here you know it can get frustrating around that but you're right I do see shifts in that and again going back to parents you know when I notice them sort of seeing that I'm asking them questions in a different way and that there's a possibility for them to talk to their children and young people in a different way I see a shift in the parent, and I think that actually is probably going to be even more powerful. Yeah, no, I can believe that. A bit of a, a shift of gear, actually. I, I, you've talked a little bit about this, actually, but I'm curious about what's your experience of being on the faculty of the programme? Yeah, oh, it's fantastic, Jean. I absolutely love it. Again, it's a privilege to work with our cohorts of you know, people on the programmes just watching them grow and develop and you know I think that I guess something about the way that we model in our behavior with them then they pick that up they are very open to learning wanting to develop wanting to hear the feedback and learning from each other and I learn from them and they ask me a challenging question I think oh yeah what would I do what would I say it's just really stimulating for me and a pleasure to watch them develop as an amazing coaches I can see that I can see your energy as you're talking yes. about it yeah wow. oh, I know it's an amazing experience isn't it, yeah. it is. and when they realize I love it that realization that giving advice is actually not the most helpful thing to do it's so good to see them <laughs> it's often the hardest piece of learning but the best thing to do yeah so um, how about you? Have you ever struggled with imposter syndrome or struggling, you know, with wondering whether you're in the right place or in the right job? 
And if you do struggle with it, how do you deal with it when it shows up for you? I definitely feel imposter syndrome all the time, I would say. And I think, you know, as an educational psychologist, it comes up because partly the job title, a school will say, oh, you know, we're so pleased you're able to come in. And then they introduce me to the parent, you know, and I feel like here's the expert coming in. And I think, I'm none of these things. I'm just me. And I guess I feel that my greatest psychology is me and the way that I interact with people. And so I try to remind myself of that. You know, you don't have to have lots of clever interventions to offer or lots of research at the tips of my fingers. Actually, you know, just do what you know you're good at. So I, I kind of just remind myself, but, but I do have that, oh, they're going to find me out eventually. <laughs> but it's amazing because you've been doing this work for a long time. You clearly very good at it you know what you're doing and it's just the nature of our human condition that even with all that depth of experience you still have those moments of you know am I whatever enough (laughs) clever enough yes Mm. Mm. no it is amazing isn't it but maybe there's well I I always try to think what's the good message in here what's the positive message well it, it makes me keep thinking and reflecting and developing so I don't get complacent yeah it keeps us humble as well I think particularly if we're working with people and with young people it's really important to stay in that very human space so that they feel they're meeting you at a very human level I've no doubt they do Chris because that's how you are in the world yeah I mean yeah I guess I, I should be positive about the feedback that I get because you know I sometimes think Oh, especially a teenager, I think they're never going to come and talk to me. And they do. So, yeah. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> Good. So as we come to the end of our conversation, is there a book or a podcast that you would recommend to people? Yeah, there is. So there's a book. I've got it right here. It's The Art of Coaching. I don't know. Are you familiar with it, Jen? I'm not familiar with it, no. It is. Um, ah, yes, I do know it. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. It's lovely. It's uh, Jenny Bird, who's one of the two people who wrote it with Sarah Gornell. I, I know Jenny quite well. She was a coaching supervisor for me at one time. And the book is absolutely packed with arty type of creative ways to engage with a client in coaching. And, I, you know, I've used quite a lot of the ideas just, you know, I just kind of offer it as a possibility to a client and some of them love it. You know, if they're, if they're kind of interested in something more creative, like to see something on paper, it's worked really well. Actually, it's also a good book for leaders, I think, because yeah. it has so many practical tools and things to help have leadership conversations or in one-to-ones. It's really, it's really a great book. Yeah. And it's very easy to consume because it's visually very beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, we will put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. Chris, thanks for joining me today in the podcast. It's lovely to hear you talk about the work you're doing with young people. We don't talk about that very much here in this podcast. And yet how incredibly important it is that we're being able to help our young people to be well in this difficult world. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for doing the work you do. It's been lovely. It's been really good to talk about it here. Good. Well, thank you. 
Thanks for joining this episode of Making Sense of Work. If you enjoyed it, please go and subscribe, rate and review. If you have a topic you'd like me to explore in the podcast, please follow the show notes and send me a message.